Hello and welcome to the Tell Me If You Can podcast, a podcast where I have the honor of listening to and unpacking the stories that shape the lives of amazing women. My name is Ogechi, your host, and today's guest is Liberty Gaither. Liberty is the founder and editor-in-chief of fashion publication Manic Metallic. Liberty shares about her switching careers and how she eventually ran her own business. We discuss how the different skills she learned from her previous jobs and her desire for leadership and control in her career led to the formation of Manic Metallic, where she and her team focus on fashion as a discipline and art. Let's take a listen to Liberty's story. Hi, Liberty. Welcome to the podcast. For those of us that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick bio, who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Certainly. So my name is Liberty. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of Manic Metallic, which is a fashion publication that operates off of the knowledge that fashion is an art and a discipline. And, you know, we... We're founded in 2019 and, you know, we're just starting to ramp things up here in 2020. You know, we're all at home due to COVID. So getting to do a lot more and, you know, building up our community online as well as building up our website content. And I'm based on East Coast of the United States and based out of Philadelphia and New York City primarily. Um, Right now, more Philadelphia. But um, yeah, so that's a bit about me. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about like your childhood, your background. What was your dream job growing up? All right. Awesome. So my childhood dream was to actually be in fashion, believe it or not. So I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. So grew up in the South and... You know, the suburbs are, they're nice. They're not really my thing. Glad I got away. Um, The plan was always to come to the city to go to college so that I could just be around more like-minded people. But yeah, my goal was always to be in fashion. And it started with different fields. So when I was eight years old, I really wanted to be a fashion designer. And so I got really obsessed with reading fashion magazines and taking any spare piece of fabric that I could find laying around my house to hack up with scissors and dress my dolls, you know, just to get some practice in. And eventually, you know, things went along and I decided, you know, I don't think I want to be a fashion designer. I want to be a fashion model. And Mm -hmm. so I did a bit of modeling as a teen and actually a bit in my early to mid twenties as well. So that's the longest period that I've been in fashion. And outside of that, I mean, I actually did not go to school for fashion, didn't go to fashion school at all. I went to school to do finance because I wanted money. It was during the recession. (laughs) So that, that was basically it. It's like really sad saying that, but I wanted money. I wanted to make sure that I'm going to be stable and I major in something that I was sure was going to keep me on an even financial keel. 
you know, it turns out that I ended up not doing anything with finance anyway. So having money and being a moot point. Okay. But went to school for that. Once I was done, I did a bit of work in a lot of different fields. You know, my goal was always to be in fashion and own a business. So I started off the two years in AmeriCorps. It's a national service program. Learned some nonprofit skills there. And after that, I started working at a sales company because I decided, you know, if I'm going to own a business, I should probably know how to sell. After I did that, I went to a computer coding boot camp because I figured that I should probably know how to do technical things like building a website, coding, that sort of stuff. And so that was a really good experience for me. And after that, I took a job at a marketing tech company so that I could learn the marketing aspect of things. So really, there's a lot of learning on a job. And, you know, when you own a business, there's only so much that you can learn in school. You know, I took accounting classes. I took entrepreneurship classes, economics classes. None of that really prepared me for being a person that owns a business, especially in fashion, since the extent of my involvement in the field was doing modeling, not really on the business side. Wow. I think that is, I mean, you said a lot and I want to make sure that people listening realize that you are super strategic in your different career paths, whether you knew it at the time or not. But I think you take something from every single job that you have. And I mean, from knowing the nonprofit skills and there's a lot of, there's a lot to learn about organizational structure and how to multitask because nonprofits are notorious for um, having people wear a lot of hats at the same time. And then um, sales, coding, the technical skills, all of these things that yes, you had a degree in finance and you had this business education, but there's nothing more fruitful than on the job education and getting it from different fields is super interesting and super cool and obviously you're being paid to learn right these are jobs that you earned income or earned a stipend for so you're being paid so you're financially stable but you're also setting yourself up to start your own business and I think that's excellent that you had that um the strategic mindset to be able to set yourself up to be independent and knowledgeable as you start your own business so what led you to switch from these careers to then taking the leap to running your own business? Well, so when I first started my career, actually going into the nonprofit sector wasn't planned. That wasn't something that I just woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to be a nonprofit person. That was like, what can I get a job in? I need to work. So I figured, hey, I should, I could do this service program. I'll meet a lot of people. I'll learn how to build relationships. And, and also there's, you know, there's a lot to be taken from working in a nonprofit. So that's what started me there in terms of like what got me into those other careers. Again, it was just like thinking, all right, well, if I know that I don't really want to work for a company long-term, but I've got to do some kind of work and make some kind of money for myself, I should probably, you know, just like do a lot of things to learn the skills that will help me to own a business. And I was able to do that. And what got me to finally just stop working for companies 
was working for corporation after corporation and seeing, you know, just how they treated workers and how whatever it is that they do, ultimately those actions will always be in their own best interest and not the interests of the people that work for them as employees. And so I knew eventually, again, my time working for companies would expire, but I just couldn't bear working under other people anymore and having them be in control of my professional destiny as opposed to myself being in control because I like being a leader. I like being able to make decisions. And, you know, even if when I succeed or fail, even if I fail at something, I feel more comfortable knowing that I was the one that failed and that it's my fault. I don't like to fail and it's someone else's fault. Mm. That's, I mean, that's a good point. And I think that um, you, yeah, you speak to being, feeling this frustration of kind of being a wheel in this machine. And some people are really great at that and they can thrive in that, but you wanted to have more control over your career and your destiny. And so for you, the way to do that was to start your own thing and be your own leader. And I think that you also were comfortable with the possibility of failure. Everybody isn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. Everybody isn't cut out to have their own business or do their own thing, or maybe not at the right at the time that they pursue it. But I think knowing that that is a possibility is part of being realistic and taking that leap. And you were able to own that if, if, if you failed it was on you and you felt better about doing that than failing and having it be on someone else. So I think that is um, really, really cool. Let's talk about your modeling because you talk about that being the most, um, the most time you really spent working in the fashion industry. What was that like for you? How did you get into it and what did you like about it and what didn't you like about it? Well, so when I first started modeling, it was as a teenager in the suburbs of Atlanta. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm a model for elite model management or and nothing mm-hmm. like that. I started off doing what I could in my hometown because, you know, I'm I'm not living in a big city. I live near near one, but even that big city isn't known for being a fashion hub. So I was like, well, there's a photographer in my town and he takes pictures and he works with this local fashion boutique owner that I've done some stuff with so I was in a couple of pageants when I was younger and she used to host them and so I was like you know let me go to him and do some modeling see if he needs any modeling help and so I went to him and then that's when we built up a working relationship and you know we go around to the different towns near my city and do all kinds of shoots so we do like outdoor shoots. We do shoots in cities. There was this one shoot that we did in a graveyard, which really interesting. Modeling does like the craziest shoots in the oddest of places, but I think that's really interesting about it. Um, so, so I was in Atlanta growing up, and once I got to the northern states, you know, I went to college in Pittsburgh. I didn't really do anything. It's kind of pause, but you know, back, you know, I started back in my early twenties and I, you know, did as much as I could in 
Pittsburgh, which Pittsburgh isn't really known for being a fashion hub either. But again, it's like, you know, I felt like being a person that has always wanted to be in the fashion industry, I had to have some kind of involvement. You know, I, I couldn't just like sit back and all I'm doing is like working these jobs so that I can learn skills to own my own business. I had to have contact with fashion somehow. And so I did what I could there, you know, I was in their fashion weeks and, you know, I did fashion shoots and, um, you know, promotional events, anything that I could do just so that I could be in the fashion ecosystem. And eventually I got tired of doing that also because, you know, being in modeling, I felt like I saw a lot that supported the view that, you know, models didn't have as much control over their own affairs as I would like. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm going to start working towards building a business, which I started conceiving Manic actually in 2017 and didn't really start it until 2019. So it was like a two year span of on and off. Like I'd have time, right? Brainstorm a lot of ideas and start building a website, get tired of it, throw it away, build another one. And then I'd have to concentrate on my job that I was doing. And so there was a lot of back and forth until I got to the point where I am now. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about Manic Metallic. What does it what goal does Manic Metallic seek to accomplish as a fashion publication? Okay, so Manic has a lot of goals, but again, the ultimate point that Manic wants to drive home is that, you know, we believe that fashion is an art and a discipline. And what that means is that, you know, of course we know that fashion is a business. I mean, you can't get past that, you know, if no business, no survival. So, um, so of course it's a business, but at the same time, a lot of what these designers do on a daily basis, it really is an art form. Just, you know, take a look at any couture show or any, really any ready to wear show by just pick one. It doesn't matter who. Um, so we operate off of that um, belief that fashion is an art and a discipline. And we want to take fashion back to a point to where it's not simply focused on celebrity culture, because we feel mm-hmm. like, especially in the United States where people are really, really obsessed with Hollywood. A lot of fashion is intimately tied in with entertainment. And we believe that fashion is a discipline that should be respected on its own accord. It has its own history and it has its own future, irrespective of any famous person that decides to hop in and out, depending on, whether or not they're promoting a movie or merchandise or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like I could go on and on about that. So I'll stop. No, no, that's fine. Um, for me, I have a passion for fashion, but I also know that there are some things that the fashion as an industry lacks. Um, it's still, there are people in that pocket, in the pocket of the industry that definitely 
have a focus for the art form and the discipline. And we're seeing innovation and technology being used in fashion. But for me, I think from a social justice perspective, there is a lack of um, inclusivity that's obviously growing and changing as people call it out. But where do you see the future of the moral landscape of fashion taking place, whether it's inclusivity or sustainability or what have you? Well, fashion has a lot of changing that it needs to do. Um, and I think that it's to a point where if fashion doesn't change, then, you know, it will be, I, I won't say left behind because there's always going to be, you know, a level of interest in the field. But at the same time, it won't be as much of a driver of innovation as it's become known for being. And so I'm... Um, mm. So where do I think that fashion's going with respect to inclusivity and sustainability? Um, I'll go to one thing that Manic Metallic has been doing recently on our platforms. We have a series called Alternative Fashion Capitals. And the goal of that is basically us taking a look at the industry and what it chooses to publicize. It chooses to publicize four cities, just, just four out of the entire world of over, what, seven, eight billion people, New York, London, Milan, Paris. And what we're thinking is that a lot of the problems that fashion is facing can be traced back to just spotlighting those four places and not looking at the fact that, you know, there are like, what, tons of other cities out there that we could be looking at. Like we recently did a profile on Bogota, Colombia. I mean, there's so much there, even just that one city that we could all be taking a look at. Uh, we did a profile on Lagos, Nigeria. We did one on Melbourne, Australia. And, you know, now we're working within the European continent again and, you know, looking at cities there that don't get as much publicity. So see what we're doing to, like try to make fashion more inclusive. And of course, this is only a start, but looking at the question of diversity in fashion, there, and this is, might sound strange, but there is diversity in the industry. There's a lot of it. It's just the places that we choose to direct our energy. Of course, if you look at just like Paris, London and Milan and New York, of course, there's not going to be as much diversity there. And they've got their own issues that they need to fix, and a lot of them. But what about the entire continent of Africa who's making a lot of strides and moving ahead in the industry? What about the Asian con countries? Like, What about cities like Tokyo and Seoul? And um, what about Hong Kong? What about even Canada, Canada is North America, but you know, still they're not getting as much attention as they could be. So there needs to be more diversity to be sure, but we also need to expand our vision geographically because, you know, when you look at the term fashion industry, I think that we need to rethink that because I think that a lot of people, when they think industry, I believe that they're thinking about those four places. Oh, if it's not being, done in Milan or London or wherever, and, and any of those four cities, it just isn't being done. But there is a lot of diversity and a lot of talent 
And a lot of cities that are focusing on sustainability, actually, just not those top four. Yes, I I really, um, I completely agree. When you go, if you Google Fashion Week, it's going to be those four major cities. Obviously, there exists like Miami Fashion Week and LA Fashion Week. They just don't get the press like they like the other weeks do. They don't have the ad spend for companies and influencing marketing and all of those things that go behind creating a buzz in the fashion quote unquote industry. Um, so I thousand percent agree. I'm Nigerian, so shout out to Lagos for being innovative in African fashions. Um, there's so many countries, there's so many designers that are from different countries. Um, how do you feel social media plays a part in then creating this reimagined vision of what fashion and the diversity of fashion should look like? Well, social media plays a really important part. And just the internet in general plays a really important part in just expanding people's view of what fashion is and what it has the potential to be. So imagine times before we had the internet. We... I mean, it would have been difficult actually hearing about London, Milan, and Paris, but we did. Um, So I think that the fact that we have this tool in front of us on a day-to-day basis to be able to sit back and say, you know, um, these four places are fine, but I wonder what's going on all the way across the world. You know, maybe you go to Instagram and you type in a hashtag worldwide fashion or avant-garde fashion or African fashion, something like that. And you see all of these amazing designers that come up, these amazing models, these amazing fashion publications. And you're like, where have I been? I've been living under a rock. And actually when I started doing this series with them, along with the rest of my team, when we started doing this series for, Alternative Fashion Capitals for Manic Metallic, we felt like we had been living under a rock and fashion is our thing. And so it's not like, you know, oh, it's everyone else has a problem and we're doing what we can to help to solve it. No, we've been living under a rock just as much as everyone else. But I think that that's the great thing about it. You know, if you're not doing the right thing, you can always start doing the right thing and being more inclusive and being more sustainable. Yes. I think that's a good point that um, just because, I mean, you saw a a pain point in the industry and you created a way to highlight that and provide solutions for that, but also you recognizing that you might've internalized some of that. Like we are trained to think of fashion in a very um, small box have in this small way And so you had to, in your discovery of different areas of focus and different kind of designers and cities to highlight, you are unlearning some of the ways that you might have uh, internalized what the status quo for fashion was. So I think it's it's important to highlight that just because we want to change something doesn't mean that we don't also have to do work and realize that we might have been um, a piece of that problem in a sense. in the problem that we're trying to solve at the same time. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. (laughs) It makes complete sense. Perfect. Um, So how do you maintain balance being someone that 
is um, a leader of a company and also, you know, having a normal day-to-day life? How do you maintain balance in your personal life? Well, um, that's a work in progress. Um, It's a work in progress. And I don't know how great that I am at it. Now, one thing that I make it a point to do is, you know, I, I consider it a part of my job to have experiences, to go out and experience different things, different places, different cities, different countries, you know, meet different people. I feel like it's a part of what I do because fashion is ultimately a field in which you build relationships. It thrives off of interacting with other people and other places and other things. And so if nothing else, I mean, that's something that is more than sufficient to pull me away from the work that I do. And it's necessary. It's a necessary thing to pull me away because I enjoy like personally working on what I'm doing. You know, I like the learning process of learning about different cities and, you know, like following the different fashion weeks, like, you know, fashion month is coming up in September, which who knows what's that, what that's going to look like, but that's something that, I like doing this stuff. And so there are actually a lot of points where for my particular part of doing manic, I'm doing work at what, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. But because I enjoy doing it, it doesn't actually feel like work. It feels like, oh, I'm doing this thing that I really enjoy doing. So. Well, that's, I mean, that's such a blessing that I mean, the phrase goes, if you love what you do, then if you love your work, then it doesn't feel like I'm misquoting, but there's a phrase along the lines of like, it doesn't feel like work if you love it so much. Um, And even if you're not doing the tedious tasks behind your job, you're still having those experiences that are technically part of your job, but they separate out the, you know, the minutia from the more abstract experiential part of what you do for a living. So I think that it's nice that you have those different levels of your job that um, you can go to, to separate out your experiences. So what are some of the um, things that you love most about what you do? What do you love most about your job? You know, um, uh, all of it, but um, I'll say there are parts I love more than others. Um, I like the process, you know, that isn't something that a lot of people would just like say, but I actually like the process of, you know, diving into, you know, pick a subject, whatever it is that I'm writing about, or, you know, whatever it is that Manic is deciding to spotlight on our platform and just taking that and doing all kinds of research and looking at one subject from one platform and looking at another part of that subject from another outlet and just like learning. I really like the learning aspect of it because, you know, whether you're in fashion for a year, two years, 10 years, it's the field. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly evolving. You're constantly going to have to be learning new things. And I really like that aspect about it. I enjoy the innovative spirit that you are constantly having to imbue yourself with. That is, I mean, that's really cool. And you can never really get bored, right? It's, 
constantly changing or reinventing itself in new and exciting ways. And I think as, like you said, as we start to expand our focus in fashion, then we are expanding the opportunities to learn about new places, new things, new techniques, um, and new people that are a part of this beautiful tapestry of the fashion um, ecosystem, so it is. Um, how often does Manic Metallic create a new publication? So the way that Manic Metallic creates, as of right now, is online. We're focusing on online content right now and not doing publications necessarily because, again, we just got started in earnest more consistently in 2020. Well, guess what happened in 2020? The pandemic. (laughs) So it's not really that easy to just say, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to collaborate with photographers or anyone else that could create just this one thing, this one um, publication that people can hold physically in their hands. You can't, you just can't do it. So we're focusing on online content on the website and building up on social media. Awesome. And I think a lot of people, especially in the creative space, are in a similar boat. Uh, we talked about loving the experiences of going to different places, experiencing the different techniques and learning about the different areas. Obviously, travel isn't what it it was then when you first started, but you're adapting now to um, a different kind of medium. And I think people are absorbing a lot of creative content because they are not able to go out and about like they used to be. Um, So I think that um, recognizing that that's where people are at is great that you're meeting them at that. So um, yeah, so I think, so to answer my question, I think, do you just create content weekly or do you create it on like a monthly basis or or how do you decide what should go out? All right. So with social media right now, we have, um, and I'm going to use this to talk about content. Um, so social media content with that one, we have platforms on a lot of different ones, but we're putting a lot of focus right now on Instagram and so there'll be six posts a day with that. You know, we do a combination of Instagram stories and Instagram feed posts, and we've done a few IGTVs. So we do those, you know, six days a week, one rest day, um, seven days a week is, you know, so too much, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. And in terms of online content on the website, that one tends to be more two to three per week. And we really like to ramp that up, but what makes that a difficult thing in my view is that so much of the work that we do requires so much research. Just, yes. you know, we really like to create stories, articles for our site that are well-researched, well-documented, well-sourced. It's, it's about not just putting out your opinion, or if you put out an opinion, then making sure that you're backing it up with facts. And if you're trying to be like really factual with what you do, it takes time to make sure that you're sourcing things correctly. And not only sourcing, but sourcing from credible places. And so, yeah, that takes time. 
So two to three per week right now and like to ramp that up in the future. I mean, I yeah, I think your content is fine. Even with the two to three, I can imagine like I've I've read your articles about the alternative fashion capital Kiev is so interesting to me and now I think now the worst part of this actually is now I have more places that I would love to visit and experience from that fashion lens and not just from like the traditional travel lens so even if you're not super into fashion you're learning about places that if you like traveling or culture or anthropology I think you should definitely check out their website and learn about these different places um, and then these different brands that are in these cities. Um, so I love how you focus on cultivating really good quality content. How many people are on your team? Because I can't imagine that it could be done with just you, obviously. So how many people do you have on your team that help you create this amazing content? Well, let's see. There are, other than myself, there are two to three that serve and more advisory roles. Like, you know, if I have an idea, I can bounce it off of them. And, you know, and that those advisory roles for me are extremely important because I have like the type of mind that can bounce off of walls continuously if I'm not rein in. Like there's always a new idea coming from all kinds of different directions. And so I need those two to three people to sort of ground me and say, you know, we should move in this direction with this article or that probably wouldn't play well with the audience. Um, and then of course, um, you know, they help with graphic design and, you know, creating my logo, things like that. So to answer your question, two to three, mostly an advisory role, but also like graphics and, you know, web help, things like that. Awesome. Um, so now it's a part of the show where I like to call roses and thorns. A rose is a good thing that's happened to you lately, and a thorn is a bump along the way. So what is one rose and one thorn that you've had lately? Oh, boy, let's see. Um, strangely, there are actually a lot of good things that have happened in the middle of a pandemic. That's good. Imagine, in the middle of a pandemic, imagine that. Um, so I'll pick one for my life and... If it's okay, I'll do one for Manic, you know. Oh, yeah. You, right, we so. can have a lot of roses. Endless <laughs> right. roses. Yeah, all right. Um, let's see. So a rose that recently happened from just my own life is going to, I went to the Adirondack Mountains for the first time. It was on my birthday, July 4th, you know, so we went for, my boyfriend and I, we went for five days and you know, of course, during a pandemic, it's hard to travel, but we hadn't traveled in so long that we figured, you know, we can get an Airbnb where we're alone, get an entire house where we come into contact with no people at all whatsoever. And it was actually the perfect social distancing birthday nature trip to just get away and detach. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I, I think that if we're looking at like a contest of what's the most beautiful place in America then, you know, there's not much competition there. So that's one good rose. Oh, wow. So that's one rose. Um, another, I will say, is really just a process of building up Manic Metallic's social media presence. Um, yeah, we've been doing a lot online to try to do that. And 
it's slow. It's really slow. It takes a lot to build up an online community, but especially with a lot of our time going into doing research and getting mm-hmm. articles up. So it takes a lot to build a community online, but it's been happening and the time that you put in is worth it because you'll build deeper and deeper relationships. So that's a rose. Now, a thorn, hmm, something that's not so great. Let's see. Um, hmm. This actually takes some thought. I would, you know, I would say that a thorn would be not so much with me personally, but looking at where the United States as a country is going, where, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and we're not getting any better and we have a very weak federal leadership response and basically there are no signs of that letting up anytime soon. So that's my thorn. That's, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. First, let's address your rose. I am not a huge nature junkie, but I do love being a part of nature. And so now I have to, again, thanks for adding more places to my list. And it's not too far from me, um, the Adirondack Mountains to where I need to travel. And I agree, even in a socially distant way, it's really nice to go somewhere different from your normal like home if you've been staying in your home or apartment or wherever for many, many weeks. It's nice to have that opportunity to detach, be a part of nature, unplug a little bit. And so um, I am so happy that you got to do that for your birthday. And I'm happy that your online community is growing. And I also agree that a thorn is just the, the cloud of negativity in terms of the future of this country. And um, trying to maintain hope in that is hard, but um, I definitely think it's possible. It's just um, recognizing that it's not where it should be and it doesn't feel good to be a part of that, right? Um, how can people follow along on your journey and follow Manic Metallic, follow you and continue following your story? All right, also, so there are a lot of places that you can follow. First, I'd say, you know, visit our website at www.manicmetallic.com. We are in the process of starting a newsletter, actually. You know, if you go to our website and click newsletter, you can follow and we're going to start sending that out soon. So yeah, definitely subscribe to that. And in terms of a social platform, I would say, well, follow us on all of them that we're on. We're on Instagram and all of these were under Manic Metallics. So just search that. You'll find us. So follow us on Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, and Pinterest. So those four. And I mean, soon we'll start ramping up on YouTube. Not yet. But I'd say stick to those four right now, plus also our website content and our newsletter. Awesome. And I will link that information down below so that people can follow along and see how you continue to grow as a publication, learn about the amazing places that you highlight and how you decide to and how you um, highlight the artistry of the fashion ecosystem and fashion industry. Thank you again, Liberty, for being a part of this podcast and sharing a little bit about your story and about Manic Metallic and your passion for fashion. Oh, wow. That (laughs) (laughs) rhymes. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Uh, um, 
And I hope you have an amazing day. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And um, yeah, I hope you have an amazing day too. And yeah, just just keep moving forward in this um, crazy situation that we're all in. And hopefully it all ends soon. Yes. It was so cool learning about Liberty's viewpoint and critique of the fashion environment and industry. The focus on diverse fashion cities and designers and the great respect she takes in her efforts to make the fashion industry stronger is amazing to learn. I love that her job allows her to have experiences that make her role less daunting. It encourages me to look at my job through the lens of experience and not just a set of tasks. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I've even included the link in the show notes. Have a great day in your amazing story.